And I've got something quite exciting that I want to talk about. Um, I think that this will prove to be a blessing. And of course, we didn't have church Thursday night. In the 23-plus years that I've been pastor, I can only remember calling off two services. One was last Thursday night, and one was way back there sometime. But uh, <clears throat> we called it off. Now, I drew a paycheck this week, so I might as well just give you two messages tonight, <clears throat> just, to, just to be honest and fair, you know. <clears throat> I, want to, I want to show you what someone... I get picked on all the time. You notice that? I want to show you what somebody... Somebody put, uh, uh, what happened? Sister Jeanette, come up here. I want to, I'd let Brother Andrew do this. He's next to that. But Jeanette's been running this, and I'm not for for sure. So I want to show you what somebody had on my door when I came in. <clears throat> I'm telling you, you're talking about fixing me up. Let's take a look at this. <clears throat> you know, tonight I need one of those real long pointers. I need an extension on this cane. Take a look at this. Can you see that? You put this in focus. And look at the bumper sticker. It said, I'd rather be preaching a long sermon. <clears throat> now, obviously, that's Charlie, <laughs> my chauffeur. <laughs> Charlie, I just showed this for your sake. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this, uh, this was given to me by... Sister Ellen hopped. Thank you, Sister Ellen. <laughs> I'd rather be preaching a long sermon. So, <clears throat> Now, I did tell Brother Charlie, I, I thought he might be in the sound booth. I said, now, don't uh, start uh, the taping until I tell you because uh, I don't want uh, uh, the tape to be too long, see. <clears throat> so <clears throat> just wanted to... I wanted to tell you just, I want to talk with you just a little bit before we actually start. That's okay, brother. Uh, you can just turn her off. You notice we got a new overhead? Isn't that great? All right. We bought this from Sam's Wholesale Club. Uh, I think it's going to be a good one for us. We might just want to move that out of the way and let the screen back up. I do appreciate so very much Brother Manley's message this morning. Wasn't that outstanding? The Sanctity of Life week message. He did this last year. Did an outstanding job. And I'll tell you, he just moved me as he, he spoke of, against abortion. And, of course, that's what the week's all about. And I really do appreciate uh, Brother Manley so very much. And I appreciate your your patience with me. Uh, I have made up my mind... I. I told Sister Grant, I am not living the rest of my life the way I've lived this year. And I just, I've just i just got to get myself in better shape. I just had this bad knee, and the doctors said, stay off of it. I've tried my best. Now, when I, if I have anything to do with it, now this, this year, I might not have anything to do with it. But if I have anything to do with it, I'm going to make some drastic changes. So I've been looking through my calendar i've been calling people and calling off things and saying i'm not going to do this and 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 i tell you i really do feel uh concerning calvary gospel church like i've never felt before that this is going to be our best year we had a great year in 95 but this is going to be our best year we got a pretty full house tonight 
Uh, this morning we had 298 in Sunday school. Last Sunday we had 298. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, recently we had several services when we had 325 or so. Our Sunday school attendance has been up. Everything has been up. The one area that I'm a little concerned about, not a little bit, but a whole lot, we have not had as many conversions in the month of December and January that we have had in the past. We ha- I have been talking to the church quite a bit, and uh, sometimes when you change the, the focus of your ministry, you, you have this. And uh, I, I believe tonight, even though I'm, I'm sticking with uh, a pastoral-type message to the church, that uh, if you're a guest of ours and you're here without the Holy Ghost, you can be filled with the Holy Ghost tonight. I really do believe this. Praise God. We're going to switch over to this mic. I've got a lot of scriptures I'm going to be reading, or you're going to be reading, and I, I need cooperation from all of you to, to just help me out. Okay? You want to take this, Brother Manley? And I will also be calling on volunteers to come up and, and, and assist me. Let's start out by turning to Isaiah, the seventh chapter, Isaiah 7. If you will turn there. We want to read a prophecy concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 7. And Brother Moran, when everyone stands and we read this, you can start the taping. We're just trying to cut down on the length of the tape. So if later on someone says this is long, I've got the edge a little bit. (laughs) Just joking. Uh Please stand for the reading of the word, if you would. Isaiah 7, verse 15, and verse 16. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings." And you may be seated. <clears throat> Thank you so very much. Verse 15, butter and honey shall he eat. Now, talk about the Lord. Uh, that the, the thing about it is, uh, the scripture is just simply saying that he's going to have a very simple lifestyle. Basically, he's going to be a little bit out of tune with his world. But he's going to be in tune with another world. And this is primarily what I'm talking about tonight. I want to title this message, Drawing Lines, Setting Standards and Rules in Our Modern Changing World. Now, that's a long title, I understand. Now, what I am teaching here tonight is exactly what I will be teaching in the prayer conference. I've spent a lot of time just putting this together. It's not anything you'd read out of a book in any place. But I, I prepared this for ministers. But in preparing it for ministers, it's something that I want to personally talk to you about. Now, we have just such a great fellowship here at Calvary Gospel Church. I keep referring to it. I am just every week overwhelmed by 
just uh, some act of of uh, grace uh, of some of our people toward uh, uh, others, some act of love. I, I just really do appreciate Calvary Gospel Church. There is just nobody in all the world like you find people. However, <clears throat> there is a time in which we just have to instruct the church. And this this is just part of it. Tonight, all I'm going to do is deal with the basic philosophy. You know, by that I mean why certain things are done and how they're done so that some of you newer ones that are in the assembly might understand. Now, we do live in a changing world. And, of course, there are things about the world that has drastically affected the human race outside of just time itself. Now, you know, time will, will definitely change things, but... but there is a, an onslaught of satanic powers and forces in our world. And things that are commonplace today, up until the turn of the century, were just almost unheard of. Just almost unheard of. I think I made reference to this, but I just tore a page out of a, a Louis L'Amour book. How many of you read uh, Louis L'Amour books? Westerns. Look at all the hands, okay? Now this this came out of the uh, it came out of the the book entitled The Outlaws of Mesquite. All right? Now listen to this. Nowadays when you see women riding in the West, they're usually wearing blue jeans. All right? But this was not the case during the time these stories take place. Up until World War One, or short, shortly thereafter, a woman wouldn't have been caught dead wearing pants anywhere. She wore a dress wherever she went. Now, I'm I'm not here to condemn uh, pants as attire uh, tonight. You know, you know my teaching on this. I'm just showing you how how things have changed and why we have to do some of the things that we do as a church. All right. Women never rode a horse astride unless they were miles from where anybody was likely to see them. Then they might. They rode side saddle and side saddle only with a dress very carefully draped over the side of the horse. I had an aunt, a very beautiful young woman, who rode that way, and she was something to watch. In public, a woman was very careful not to show any more than her ankles. And about the only time you got to see them was when she was getting out of a stage or down off a railroad train. Now, this, this did not come out of the Bible. Okay. <laughs> In fact, if you want to know what kind of book it came out, on the back side you see kind of a romantic and, but uh, romantic picture here. But this, this, was, this is an official page from the Louis L'Amour book. All right. Now, I have said that to basically change it, to say that our world is really changing. And there are certain things in this change that's brought about a great move of the Lord because hearts are constantly searching 
and change uh, normally would create uh, a real hunger and a real thirst for new things and discontentment for the present that uh, quite often change will bring a person to a point of conversion. See, we've, we've never been ripe for revival like we are here in America now. But even though this change has drastically affected our lifestyle as, a, a, as an American... Uh, what about in the church? In other words, what sh- what should our basic attitude be in the church? Now, in order for me to do this, I'm going to have to cover some ground that I've covered in a recent message. You remember I talked about the four classes of people? How many of you remember that? All right. Okay, a few of you. So it's all right for me to cover this in a little bit more detail than what I had planned because many of you don't remember. Now, once we get started, you will remember this. Now, what I need, I need volunteers for this. The first class that I want to cover is wrong people doing the wrong thing. Now, you re- you remember now, don't you? But what I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to put a different title on this, uh, a, a scriptural title. I have explained this before, but I need I need just someone that that would consider themselves to be a wrong person doing the wrong thing, just some gentleman. Uh, We've been uh, talking to the ladies a lot, so uh, some gentlemen uh, agree to this. Now, we got people off. Brother Eckenrod, okay. Now, the scriptural title that I'm going to put on this, did you have your hand up, Brother Eckenrod? Come on up here, then. you got to come up here. Now, the scriptural title that I'm putting on this, it doesn't sound very spiritual because... A wrong person doing the wrong thing, according to the Scripture, is a wicked man. A wicked person. Now, see, he volunteered for this. I didn't didn't choose him. I didn't tell the whole story, naturally, (laughs) until he came. Now, this type of person, according to Scripture, is a man who's walking through life. He's pretty much just sold on his own desires himself. He doesn't care too much about God or doesn't care about God at all. The book of Proverbs quite often calls him a fool. The fool saith in his own heart, there is no God. So he's a wrong person, a wicked man. And he's doing bad things. All right. Now, the next person that I find in the scripture is a wrong person doing the right thing. So I need I need a volunteer for this, okay? Let's go on this side over here. Brother Repka, you come up here if you want to. Now, I volunteered him for this because this this is one I can brag on a little bit. <clears throat> now, I, was, I wasn't going to call on someone. I wasn't going to volunteer someone for a position that I couldn't brag on. I can't brag on Brother Eckenrod's position. But here is a man <clears throat> that's wrong. And he is doing wrong or right things. In other words, he has come to a knowledge of of God. And there's a desire in his heart to do what is right. Now, I would like to go into a lot of scripture concerning this man. But according to scripture, we could call this man a man who is a natural man. In other words, he has not reached full conversion. There's many things about God that he doesn't understand. 
But you, even though he's wrong, why? Because he's never been born again. He's still in this class. But, but on the other hand, you know, you, you just, to call him a wicked person when he's doing everything he knows to do that's right would not be necessarily a good, would it? So here you have a wrong man that's doing right things. That's what causes this man to come to the Lord. Okay. Now, let's say that he comes to the Lord. Now, these are progressive steps. Uh, in other words, the wicked man doing wicked things becomes the wicked man doing the right things. Now, we still place him in that category simply because he has not yet crossed over a particular barrier or broken through a barrier of knowledge with God, or he has not stepped over a line. Okay? Now, we need the third person, and this would be a right person that has done the right things. Now, who would, who volunteer for this? i got people way in the back volunteering. Let's get somebody up close to the front because this is easy. Okay, Lenny Smith, you come up here. Your wife volunteered you for this. Now, now, step, step right up here, okay? In this progressive movement, first the wicked man does the wicked thing, and then we have, then we have the wicked man that does the right thing, and now we have, because the wicked man has done the right thing, and he goes from the natural man to the spiritual man. In other words, he was doing spiritual things, and he reached a point of conversion. In other words, according to the Scripture, he realized his wickedness. He repented of his sins. He was baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. So he becomes a spiritual man. So we have the wicked man, the natural man, and the spiritual man. Now, he's the right man doing the right thing. Now, the next category, somebody had to volunteer for this one. I will not call any particular name. But we have the, the right person doing the wrong thing. Now, who would volunteer for this? <clears throat> okay, Brother Sandin, come on up. Now, as Brother Sandin comes, let me just explain this, okay? Now, <clears throat> once a person has been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost... He continues his progressive march toward full truth. Now, it may surprise you, but according to Scripture, truth is not a one-shot thing that you acquire and the revelation ceases. You walk in the truth. You walk in the light. You are led by the truth. And even though Jesus named baptism, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, is a divine truth, it's not the only truth. Because the Bible, for the most part, being the manual of life, the inspired Word of God, this is the full truth. So we have a spiritual man that all of a sudden he decides that I don't know about all this stuff. 
I just don't really know. And so the spiritual man becomes the carnal man. So you have the right man or a right man doing a wrong thing. So here's what you have. You have a, a wicked man, a wrong man doing wrong things. You have a wicked man doing right things. He becomes a natural man. Doesn't understand all the things of God, but he's trying. Many of God's revelations, he doesn't understand. He's not ready to take some of the things that I would even say tonight. I want to say he's ready to take them. In other words, he might not understand them. I mean, it simply means tonight we may have a guest here or some person who attends this church quite regularly that maybe you have not been fully converted. You may leave and say, I don't, I don't have the slightest idea why Pastor Grant said what he said tonight. I mean, that, that, that's the category. But all of a sudden, because he walks in the light, as the light is given to him, he reaches the point in which he's converted. Then we have what we call the spiritual man, that is the right person doing the right things. But if at any time in his walk with God he decides that I don't think I want to go any further, if he stops praying, he stops seeking God, he stops giving himself to the Lord, then uh, he becomes a carnal man. Now, the natural man, the Bible says, cannot know the things of the Spirit because they're spiritually discerned. There are certain things that you can talk to. You can talk to people out in the world all you want to talk. Now, a wicked man, that's beyond the question. You might as well just be, be out there talking to the air. A natural man, you can talk to the natural man. He may or may not comprehend. He may or may not do. But for the most part, he just hasn't reached the point in which he can receive some of the deeper revelations. That's what Paul was talking about. The spiritual man, lay it on him. Put the full coat on him. Why? Because he's eager. If he doesn't understand it, he doesn't discharge his nonsense. He just simply says, I'm gonna I'm gonna dig into this more. I'm gonna I'm gonna study more. Now the carnal man, however, is that man who said, Huh, I don't know about all this stuff. <clears throat> I I tell you. Paul says Romans 7, to be carnally minded is death. Of course, you've, you've heard me go over this in, in our Christian stewardship classes. But, you see, here's, here's the dilemma that, that we find ourselves in sometimes. We get all confused and all mixed up. Let's say there's a person out there that hasn't come to full truth. But let's say that they're, they're doing things for the Lord. There are churches, let me tell you, where people may not have been baptized in Jesus' name or filled with the Holy Ghost, but some of these people really do love God. Now you can say what you want to, but they really do. And they're really concerned about about living right, and they're concerned about morality. They're concerned about standards. They're concerned about holiness. They're concerned about being right with God. You may say, well, why aren't they where we are? For the same reason that you weren't always here either. 
You follow what I'm saying? And the worst thing you can do, you know, if you want to blast people, I mean, if you, if you really want to blast people, go after the wicked. When I say blast people, I mean, if you want to condemn what they're doing, go after the wicked. But be careful now when you go after the natural man, that is the man who is doctrinally wrong, but he's doing all that he knows to do. And let me say something else. If you want to really come down hard on another class, go after the carnal man. I'm not talking about after the man, but I'm talking about after his deeds. You know, you always go after the offense, not the offender. Now, I am not God and you're not God, but if for somehow you could just kind of in your own mind think how God thinks. Now, if you had to bless, if you had to bless the people according to attitude, according to their walk with God, according to their relationship with God, which one of the four would you bless the most? You may say, that's not scriptural. Oh, yes, it is. I can prove that. You would bless the spiritual man. He is the apple of his eye. So we're going to eliminate the spiritual man, okay? Brother Lenny, you can go back and be seated by your precious wife who volunteered you for this job. All right, now, here we are. we got three left. Now, you're not God, but if you were God and you had to bless, which one would you bless the least? Now, that's kind of a hard thing. Which one would you bless the most? Now, just think about it. Now, which one would you bless the most, the carnal man, the wicked man, or the natural man? You'd bless him the most, wouldn't you? Okay, so just come over here and stand, Brother Repka. Now, I ask you a tough question, which would you bless the least? I can't even answer that. I don't know that you can. Because I think the basic attitude of the carnal man you see, there are certain principles that the carnal man, man may follow. And he may be blessed of God because he follows a principle that promises a blessing. But this also may be true of the wicked man. So that's, that, that, that's really a tough one. But what I'd like to do is have Brother Eckenrod to be seated. And, and, and basically what we want to talk about, just for a moment, we're going to talk about the natural man. And we're going to talk about the carnal man. Now, here's the situation that you run into now. Sometimes Christians, because they're right doctrinally, they, in their own mind, they can't understand why God would bless a person who is not saved above and beyond those who are saved. 
Now, if Brother Natural Man goes to his church where they do not believe in a born-again experience like we do, and yet he has prayed, he has sought God, he has asked God to bless when he sings. Okay, both of these men are, are uh, praise singers, okay? This, this is a good example, okay? Let's say you're a praise singer in your church, and you're a praise singer in, let's say, our church where we preach the full gospel. Let's say, but... But this man doesn't pray in the prayer room. Now, that's not true, but I'm, I happen to pray in the prayer room by Brother Repka tonight, so that's not true, but I'm just making this, this scenario, you know. So let's say he doesn't pray about what he's doing. He gets up, and he just leads this praise singing, but nothing happens. Over here, across town someplace, there's a natural man that's he's bringing the roof down. God just blessing and everything. Why would God be blessing this man above this man? Because God runs the universe by principles, not by feelings. The only way that God, the only way that God can be no respecter of persons is to run the universe by principles. This man is defying a principle of God. This man is living by the principle of God. Now, I am not God and you're not God, but just looking at this purely from a logical standpoint, I think all of us would say we'd have to bless this man above this man. And now this is confusion to a lot of people because... They can't understand why sometimes that people in churches that do not preach the truth, why they can be so blessed and here I am and, and I preach the truth or I believe in the truth and I adhere to the truth and, 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 and nothing, practically nothing good ever happens to me. Because see, Christians, Christians can be blinded. You know, you can pick up attitudes and such that will just blind you. And you don't realize that you have a bad attitude. After a while, you know, it's, uh, I mean, you're just pointing fingers and you're talking about people and, and you're running from phone to phone and, 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 you know, you're causing strife and dissension and everything and, and you don't understand that all these things are happening. You say, well, what's wrong with me? How come I just don't, you know, I... And then you get real confused, and you say, I wonder. And then you say, oh, I know why they're growing over there, because they don't have the truth. If they had the truth like we had the truth, they just have a little old crowd like we have. Now, I've heard all that kind of nonsense from people. I've heard people say, boy, if you get down and you really live it like we live it, nobody wants to come. And you blame God on your non-productivity. You slander. You blame. You tempt God with statements like that. It's God's fault. It doesn't have anything to do with it. I made mention of this. Now, let me tell you, we have one church in our fellowship, 
that's in Fresno, California, Brother Von Morton will not even allow a transparency to be shown at his church. Well, he had 4,000 people Easter Sunday. Now, you can't, you may say, well, well, I don't think that's why he's growing or why he's not growing. Churches grow basically because of concepts, not particularly because of doctrines. In other words, people have the right ideas and the right concepts, the right attitude toward God. And people are stopped simply because they stop praying. They have bad attitudes. They don't care for the lost. That's it. So I hope that this will help some of you understand why some people living in an inferior walk with God as far as revelation is concerned. I said as far as revelation is concerned. They may be superior as far as their relationship is concerned. Well, they can be blessed above the carnal man. Okay, you two brethren may be seated. Now, I want to talk about the, 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 the natural man. Or versus the carnal man. Or maybe I shouldn't say the, the natural man. I mean, the spiritual man versus the carnal man. Or I think we could put the wicked, we could put the... The natural, we could also put the carnal man in the same category as far as this aspect is concerned. Now, there are certain things about yourself that you just simply cannot trust. You know, the Bible says, lean not upon your your own understanding. I talked about obedience. Now, the Bible doesn't say don't try to understand. It says don't lean on your own understanding. And that's something that's, that is very important for us to understand. Now, according to the scripture, here's the thing. That if you are a carnal man or a natural man, you can't trust your heart. Or you're a wicked man. You cannot trust your heart, according to Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now... Isaiah 55, verse 7, 8, and 9. I'd like for somebody to turn there if they would and stand and read those scriptures for me. Isaiah 55, 7, 8, and 9. Okay, Sister Carla. Now, this is basically addressed to who? It's talking about the wicked man. Let the wicked man forsake. And the reason why is because God's ideas are so far above our ideas and God's ways are so far above our ways. And unless we put ourselves in a different position, we will never understand God. We will never know God. So... If you're a natural man, if you're a wicked man, or if you're a carnal man, you cannot trust your mind. So you can't trust your heart and you can't trust your mind. Now, Romans 7, 15, and this is dealing basically with the natural man. Romans seven fifteen, 
I'd like for someone to stand and read this scripture. Okay, Brother Dan Powell. My, he sure sounds like a mixed up, confused apostle to me. Well, if you read Romans 6, it talks about the conversion of of the Christian. Romans 7 talks about the Christian who goes into carnality and follows the leading of the flesh. And all of us have tendencies toward that. And Romans 8 talks about the spiritual man. So what Paul is saying is, you know, the things that I I feel like I ought to do, I don't do. And the things I ought to do, I wait, he said, I, I'll tell you the truth. You can't really trust your feelings. It's basically what he's saying. You cannot trust your feelings. And then 1 Timothy 4, verse 2, and this is basically talking about the wicked man. I think this would also be the true of the carnal man. First uh, Timothy 4, verse 2, and someone stand and read this. Okay, somebody in the back. Somebody way back there have it. Now you got to help me because we're trying to conserve time. Okay, Brother Jay, way in the back. All right. Now, you, you see what he's talking about here. He's talking about people who are involved in hypocrisy. And hypocrisy, you know, the truth of the matter is, the hardest thing for me to do is to live up to my own preaching. I don't consider myself to be a hypocrite, but I'll tell you one thing. You sure have to work on it all the time. Because you will find that you'll excuse yourself in areas in which you condemn others. Now... What Paul is really saying is it is possible to have your conscience seared with a hot iron. And I, I, I address this. I talk to our, our kids in our school. And then, of course, I talked about this last Sunday night. You know, I keep hearing this. I said, people say, well, I don't have a conviction. And, and my pat answer on that is, what difference does it matter? I mean, the truth of the matter is, when it gets down to it, you look in the Bible, and you don't find much about this, I have a conviction versus I don't have a conviction. In the Bible, it's obedience versus disobedience. And why? Because you can reach a place in which you can't trust your heart, you can't trust your mind, you can't trust your feelings, and you cannot trust your conscience. Now, Basically, we reach the position that we find in the book of Judges. There are two scriptures in the book of Judges, and I'm sorry, I did not write it down. But the Bible says, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. There was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. See, that's what happens when people follow their convictions. Now... I don't want any of you to think that if you can't trust your heart, your mind, your feelings, and conscience, that, that, it, that you know, you're pretty much on a dead-end road and you can't figure life out. That's not it at all. Because we have not talked about the spiritual man. We have not talked about the spiritual man. Because the spiritual man, according to the Scripture, is the person 
that can examine himself in the light of Scripture, be honest enough and open enough and straightforward enough with God that he can lay everything on the line, thus opening himself to the multiple blessings of Almighty. We know that you can have a pure heart. Jesus said in Matthew 8, 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We know also that you can have a pure mind, according to Philippians 2, verse 3 through 5. Let the mind that was in Christ also be in you. Now I'd like for someone to turn there, if they would, Philippians 2. And verse 3 through 5, I'd like for that to be read. So the first person to find it, why don't you just stand? Okay, Sister Carla. Okay, stop there. You hear what she said? I heard just the other day someone did something and I said, why? And you know what the answer was? Sweet revenge. I would have dropped my false teeth if I'd have had false teeth. <clears throat> Can you believe that? I said, what? And then someone said, you mean to tell me that I'm supposed to let them talk like that to me? Well, I mean, if it makes peace. Okay, go ahead, Sister Carl. Oh, you know what that means? You have any idea what it, what it means to esteem someone? Lift them up. Building up one another. There you go. Okay, continue to read. So we can have a spiritual mind, can't we? But if we have a spiritual mind, it requires strict adherence and obedience to the Scripture. Now, we'll not have anybody read this, but we talk about feelings, even according to 1 Corinthians 12. There's such a thing as discerning of spirits. Now, you know, we, that just simply means sometimes you just have a feeling that things are not right. Parents can do this about their children. You know, it's, oh, something's not right. I've heard my boys say, we told him that, but we knew when we told you that you knew that it wasn't right. I remember one time I'd gone... Away and the boys knocked a hole in the wall. I'm going to tell you how they knocked the hole in the wall. But they got in there and they plastered it and painted it and everything. <laughs> and the first thing that happened when I walked, when I walked in the door, I looked up in the hallway and I said, "Who knocked the hole in the wall?" <laughs> and they all walked out, you know, just as innocent as little lambs, saying, "A hole in the wall? I don't see a hole in the wall." I said, "There's a hole behind this." And who painted over it? Right, they painted over it and sandpapered it with their hands. Put a little smudge on it so it wouldn't show. 
<laughs> now my son John has three boys, and he knows what that's all about. He's the one who knocked the hole in the wall. <laughs> Isn't that something? <laughs> I'm telling you, that's just the way it works. And we also know, according to Hebrews 9, 14, that we can purge our conscience. The Bible tells us the blood will purge your conscience. Clean it up. Renew it. Restore it. So you can trust your heart. You can trust your mind, you can trust your feelings, and you can trust your conscience if you are indeed a spiritual person. But in order to remain spiritual, there must be there must be a constant examination of your activities every day in the light of the Holy Ghost. I'll tell you, you know, the Bible says, think not of what you're going to say before you, when you go before the kings of the magistrates, for in such an hour the Holy Ghost will bring to remembrance the things you've read and the things that you've heard. In which God can quicken the mind. But that not only works in that respect, it also works in this respect, that if you are true blue, I mean all the way, and you want to go to heaven, and you want to be right in the sight of God, and you want to be a real Christian, that every time you kneel on your knees and you ask God, put the searchlight in my soul. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord go to and fro. He sees not only your bad, but He sees your good. And He's able to look down into the hearts of mankind. The Bible says He is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And if God can bring to your remembrance what you need to say when you're before the kings and the magistrates, don't you think He can also bring to your remembrance some activities that you have done during the course of the day. I ripped my hand open one time, wide open. And when I was down praying, I was putting a roof on the house. And I, I was cutting the shingles on the edge. And I came down. And, and that Very complimentary about what I said about somebody else. And I no more than started praying. I knew I was going to be off work for a few days. And I said, Lord, why did this happen? And God says, if you learn to keep your mouth shut about people. You know what I did? I went back to this brother that I had said this. And I told him, I said, hey, you see this rip in my hand? I said, this is because I criticized someone I, I had no right to. I had absolutely no right to. And I said, I criticized someone. They don't know anything about it. And, and you, please, please don't go repeat what I said. I should never have said that. You may say, you mean God would do that to you because of, well, let me tell you something. He's going to do worse than that for some. Some will go to hell because of it. Oh, you better believe. You look in the Bible, what the Bible says about talking about brothers and sisters. Now, that does kind of bring up a little bit of a situation. 1 Corinthians 2. 
oh, we're going to get into involved in something that's just, just really good. All right. First Corinthians two. Uh, what we want to do? Uh, let's just look at verse uh, ten. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. All right. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we receive not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Verse 13, which things also we speak, not in the words of man's wisdom, which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Now, Now, I'm not going to get involved in all of the definition of this scripture. I, I hope that you understand. But I, I want to talk about righteous judgment, being able to pass righteous judgment. And the only way that you'll be able to do that is to make sure that you are a spiritual person. Now, everyone here, either you are in a position now in which you pass spiritual judgment, righteous judgment, or you will be in one. Okay? Now, that just simply means that the world needs leaders, and the world needs people who can righteously discern, righteously judge. I think this is... This is something that is just extremely, extremely important. Now, the position that a pastor has is a very difficult one. And the reason why is because the pastor must keep unit in the house of God and he must, he must take care of people that have received the Holy Ghost Yesterday, today, all the way up to those who have been filled with the Holy Ghost for 25 or 30 years. Now, I'm going to use the word conviction. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have convictions. What I'm simply saying is that you don't go by your convictions to determine if something's right or wrong. Conviction is the, it is the voice, it is the conscience that you have in you. It's the preacher of the soul. But it is built up as you gain knowledge concerning the word. Now, we need a couple of people. Take the two girls on the front here, these two beautiful young ladies. All right, just come up here. All right, Carlin and Kristen. Okay, let's just say that Carlin is the new babe in the Lord. She received the Holy Ghost Sunday night, okay? All right, Christian, come over here and stand, if you would. Let's say that this girl has received the Holy Ghost 10 years ago, okay? 
Now, there's going to be a vast difference in their basic philosophy in life. There's going to be a vast difference in their convictions, if all I'm saying. Because as you, as you grow older in the Lord, you should strengthen your walk with God. Unfortunately, it is possible to grow old in God without growing up in God. <laughs> Now, I know that I'm talking about a lot of principles. I hope I'm not boring you folks tonight. This is something that's extremely important for you to understand. Okay. So, here we got a new babe. Now, the new babe in the family is going to get more attention than the 10-year-old girl. In this case, the new babe in Christ is going to get more attention than the 17-year-old girl. Are you 17? 18. I always overguess the ladies, but I didn't hear. I thought I knew your age. I'm sorry. She just turned 18 Friday. You sure your mom has the right date? You are 18. I'm telling you. She is 18 by a half of a gnat's breath. Okay, well, there's going to be a vast difference. And in the church, you have, you have people that just started their walk with God all the way up to people who are well up in their 80s that have been walking with God 30, 40, 50 years. Now, the pastor's responsibility is to bring unity and structure religion in the house of God, so that everybody's happy with everybody. You know, that's a monumental job. If you don't think that's a job, just trade places with me for one day. Because people say, how come they do this, brother? Well, back when I first got the Holy Ghost, people didn't do this. Some of you have forgotten, because I know when you receive the Holy Ghost. And here's a good one. Well, I've been bringing this guest for three weeks, and they just won't budge. They won't give their heart to God. I'm just about ready to give up on them. You know, I always ask, well, how many times did you come to church before you received the Holy Ghost? Well, not too many. I said, just think now. We were concerned about you. <laughs> you follow what I'm saying? So, <clears throat> we must be able as spiritual leaders to pass righteous judgment. Now, I just happen to be the leader of the church, but this would be true of a mom in a home, a father in a home. It would be true in any place where you had leadership. And the Bible always places a great premium on righteous judgment. What do we mean by righteous judgment? This means to be fair and honest and right. I preached messages before, and I just I just came crumbling down on my knees almost after I preached, and I just prayed, God, I just want to be right. That's all. I just want to be right. Now I'll have these two precious ladies to be seated. I might call them back, but I want to go over a few things that we must understand in order to pass righteous judgment. Number one. We must understand 
that we are only keepers of God's heritage. We are not Lord over God's heritage. Now, we have people in this church that would prefer me not to be a keeper, and some of you would prefer me to be Lord. I've had people beg me, just lay the law down, Pastor. Just really lay it down. And I reminded people, I said, but just keep in mind that I try to be fair and honest. Now, that simply means that when I sweep around somebody else's door, I probably sweep around yours too. <laughs> you you got to understand that, see. You have to understand that. So, according to 1 Peter 5, verse 1 through 8, we are not to be lords over God's heritage. That just simply means, you know, every now and then, pastors will say, Brother Grant's church. It's not Brother Grant's church. This is God's church. This is not Pastor Grant's church. This is God's church. I'm just an under-shepherd. However, because that I'm trying my best to be a steward, and even though I understand that you belong to God, you do not belong to Pastor Grant. You must also understand that your children do not belong to you, that you're a steward of them. They belong to God. Your Sunday school class is not your Sunday school class. It's God's class. And you should always respect each member as being a commodity of God himself. Got to be that way. All right. Now, when we understand that, this gives us a little bit of a different view relative to this. However, we also have to understand that true spiritual authority does indeed allow a leader. Not only does it allow a leader, it mandates that a leader take care of any situation in hand which is not complementary to the cause of the Lord. Let me read you something. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 18. Now some are puffed up as though I would not come to you. But I would come to you shortly if the Lord will. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 19. But I will come to you shortly if the Lord will. And will know not the speech of them which are puffed up. But the power, for the kingdom of God is not in word but in power. Verse 21, what will ye, shall I come to you with a rod or in love or in the spirit of meekness? Now he's just asking a question. Basically, he's saying, now I've got to come to you. And what way will I approach you? In other words, you had to take care of a problem that was in hand. And the Bible tells us that we are to exhort with all long suffering. Isn't that right? Now, you know how you, you, know how you say long-suffering? Long-suffering. Happens to be one of the fruits of the Spirit, which is one of the character traits of God. 
long suffering. Let's all say it together. Long suffering. Now you don't even have to explain that, do you? You just have to know how to say it right. Now, so, we must understand that we are not lords over God's heritage, but that we are keepers of God's house. Now, another principle, and I, I went over this before, but this is very necessary. We must run our lives by principles and not by feelings. Because there will be times when you just say, I just don't have the right feeling about this. But does it violate a principle of the Scripture? Or I have a good feeling about this. How does it line up with the Scripture? Now, I may be skeptical of some things, but I see a lot of things that, that happen in our current world, even among the religious ranks of people come to me and say, Oh, Brother Grant, you can't believe what, what I just heard. And they tell all about these things and these great miracles and signs and wonders, you know, and, and all this. And they say, Now, what do you think of this? Well, I, you know, I like to think that if God wanted me to be involved in this kind of, kind of ministry, somehow he would have put it in the Scripture. In other words, I, I just avoid things that are not scripturally based. No. You may say, oh, you're so practical, Brother Grant. We can never have revival. If we have revival, and we are having revival, let's have the revival, the Jesus method, the Jesus way. So don't get involved in a lot of questionable things. I heard about an evangelist recently. Was he, he, he brought a, a bowl of soil, clay, and he was spitting in his clay and kind of rolling up and anointing people with it. He said, well, Jesus did that. Well, let's leave that up to Jesus. <clears throat> because we, outside of Jesus, we just don't have any practice of that. I mean, we don't have any, any, any scripture for doing that. Now, you may say, well, I want to be just like Jesus. Well, before you start spitting on clay, you need to read the Sermon on the Mount. And you need to line up with a lot of other things. You follow what I'm saying? Now, this is something that's very necessary. All right, let's move on. All right? So we must run our life by principles and not by feelings. The next thing, we must have a good knowledge of the Word and a great relationship with God. I'm talking about if you're going to pass spiritual judgment on things because every now and then I'll hear someone say that, that's not even scriptural that's not even scriptural and you know I think a man's attitude when I say a man's I'm talking about a, a spiritual leader the attitude that you have is certainly reflected in or, or, or the judgment is reflected by the attitude that you have don't you think? All right. So, <clears throat> this is something that is extremely, extremely necessary. Now, here's another principle that I want to go over. 
The spiritual leader cannot be ruled by man or by time. In other words, what do you mean by time? The changing times we have. So, oh, well, these are the 90s. I've heard that till I could puke. I don't care what it is. You may say, oh, but Brother Grant, you're going to, after a while, you're going to, I don't care where I'm going to be. I've got to look in the Bible. Because as sure as you start, as sure as you try to, 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 to be abreast of everything and be modern and, and as sure as you try, you know what you're going to do? You're going to take on a fear of people. Because there's going to be so many pressures. When God filled the Apostle Paul with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the Bible says that God spoke to him and said, You will be a chosen vessel among the Gentiles. And God removed a fear of people from the Apostle Paul. In other words, Paul had to find that secluded place in prayer where he sought God and he sought God's word. And he would not be convinced by the pressures of men that was placed upon him. And not be ruled because he feared what people might do or might not do. And you'll find, if you don't follow this after a while, just anything goes in the house of God and you will be ruled by money people that will say, if you don't preach it the way I want it preached, I won't be putting my tithing in anymore. The best giver we've ever had at Calvary Gospel Church came and told me this one time, and I said, well, so long, brother, because as long as I am pastor of Calvary Gospel Church, I will continue to preach the holy, unadulterated Word of God. He and his wife turned in their church key, walked out of Calvary Gospel Church, refused to support the church the very next year, and we were much, much, much smaller than what we are now. We had a $64,000 increase in giving in our little small church. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, praise God, praise God, praise God. You've got to fear God and keep His commandments. You've got to love God with all your heart. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Mm. Oh, glory, glory, glory. Let's lift our hands and praise the Lord. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Oh, hallelujah! We have a sure word of prophecy. We've got the Bible. Heaven and earth is going to pass, but the word of God will stand forever, my friend. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Oh, hallelujah. You take the Bible away from me and I don't feel very confident. There have been places in Wisconsin I've been called on. I'm superintendent of the district. I've been called on to go to churches where they've been having problems. Five different churches I went to in one year. They had a church split 
Right down the middle. You walk in. This side won't talk to that side. The first thing I do, I just, I just address this. I said, I need three nights of your time. And I need two sessions each night. Nobody's going to pray here. Nobody's going to sing here. Nobody's going to do anything. I'm going to do it all. And I came to this conclusion after reading the Bible. And I was called upon to go to a troubled church. I said, Lord, what am I supposed to do when I get there? I said, I will not pass judgment on that because you have to live with those folks to find out what's going on. So I developed the lesson that I teach called Christian Ethics. And I go into these churches and my intent is to overwhelm people with the Word. Overwhelm them with the Word. And I've gone in three nights, two sessions per night, and taught on Christian Ethics. I start out by saying, did you know that what's happening here is worse than a pornographic movie. It makes me feel cheap and dirty. I don't want any expression from anybody when I'm teaching this. Nobody says amen while I do this. If you start cheering me when I'm doing this, you've got to remember, you might fall into your own trap. Somebody else is going to be cheering me after a while. You're going to be on the wrong side. So listen to me, and I go over this. In the churches I've gone to, I have question and answer sessions afterwards. In all the churches I've gone to, to settle disputes, I have not yet had one person to ask one question. Not one. And I can take you to some of those churches right now in which they got a pastor, and they love that pastor, and they're having great revival. You take the word of God away from me, and I'm very uncomfortable. But with God's spirit and God's word, I feel pretty safe. Now, spiritual judgment is actually drawing guidelines for people. And I want to just talk about this. How long have I been preaching now? Hour? More than an hour? Not quite an hour. Whenever I preach an hour, I'm going to stop. And what we're going to do, we're going to start back. That'll be that'll be a message number two. So, okay. This this this, this is conclusion of Thursday message. Now. You, you, you got to draw guidelines, and this is this is this is something I really. This is the meat. This is why I wanted to teach this. Now, what I need, I need three people to volunteer. <clears throat> come up here, <clears throat> okay? We got Kimberly way in the back, and Ernest to come on up here, okay? And I need uh, Ernest has had his hand up the whole. I thought he was praising the Lord, and was getting a real blessing, but he's volunteering for everything, okay? <clears throat> Okay, and over here, Anthony, come. Okay, <clears throat> did I get it right? That was a guess. <laughs> if I say Anthony every time, I'm going to be right at least 50% of the time. <laughs> okay, here we go. For you who do not know what the joke is, he has a twin brother. <clears throat> and sometimes they even get themselves mixed up. Now... <clears throat> <laughs> he says, ha-ha. 
I asked him a question the other day in school. He said, no, that was, that was, that was Josh. And I went to Josh. He said, no, that was Anthony. So I called him together. I said, which one of you did this? He, they, they said, we don't know. <laughs> now, don't tell me you don't get yourself mixed up. Okay. Now, Anthony, you go way over here. Oh, I've already picked on him. Okay. Okay. Oh, you go over there anyway. Let's just, we're going over there. Now, this, he's only representing a side, not a person. So we're going to call the side that he's on, we're going to call this the evil. I'm sorry. We're just, you know, we're just making this, this up. You know, you're not really evil, you know. Okay. He's really a fine guy. And we're going to call Kimberly good. Okay. Now, Ernest, here's what we want you to do. Now, we know according to Scripture that light has no fellowship with darkness. If a man love the world, he cannot be a friend of, of God. Uh, the Bible tells us all that. And we're talking about drawing lines now. Someplace there is a division between good and bad. And that's what the Lord was to do, see, when he came upon the scene, see. He was to pass righteous judgment. Now, <clears throat> Ernest, I want you to kind of get halfway in between. And we're just going to say, this kind of represents where bad touches good. Okay. Now, to me, you know, you could go all the way up to where Ernest is on the good side. And you say, well, I, I'm just, what I'm going to do, I'm going to try to walk this narrow line between good and bad. I think Paul explained it when he says, you know, some, some things are lawful but not expedient. Now, there are, there are areas in the Bible that are carefully and clearly defined. But there are certain areas that are not so clear. Now, if you were going to look in the Scripture to find out if cigarette smoking is wrong or right, and you go to your concordance and you look up cigarette, the closest you could come to it in the scriptures, look up the word camel. <laughs> and the closest you could come to the whole subject has to do with Rebecca that left her homeland to go to see Isaac. And the Bible says she lighted upon her camel. That's a... That's a that's the closest to a cigarette I could find in the Bible. I tried. I really tried, but I, that's as close as I could come. <clears throat> now, <laughs> so much for all that. <clears throat> but the big question comes up. I come to God. I'm new. I'm hooked with this habit. Uh... Would I go to hell if I smoked? Depends. Now, he says it depends. He's going to help me preach this, okay? Now, see, now we have to understand one thing. When we go back to this business of this new Christian versus this 
Christians have been saved 15 years, that there's a vast difference in the convictions of the two. We tell the new convert that just received the Holy Ghost, we say, it's going to be great. You go home tonight, you're going to put your head on your bed tonight on your pillow and know that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Little did you know that this new convert was a heavy drinker, heavy smoker, was hooked on this, that, and the other, all kinds of vices and everything. Now, you told him that. Were you right or wrong? Depends. <laughs> okay. Now, my whole point in this is not really to pass judgment upon what you said as much as to say that there never will be a time in which you walk upon this planet earth that you do not need mercy. Does it make any difference if you're new in God or you're 15 years old in God? There never will be a time. What is mercy? Mercy is the withholding of judgment. It means God could if he wanted to. But you see, God's whole purpose was to seek and save us, not to see how many he could strike dead to send to hell. And while we're walking if that with God, if that's God's sole purpose, if you got into an area that's real fuzzy where you really didn't know where to draw the line, what do you think you ought to do? Well, Andrew, come up here. You should draw the line well on the safe side. So go over here about halfway in between. Talking about guidelines for your personal living. Now, contrary to what you may say, and you won't read this in any Christian manual any place, but doesn't it only make sense that the fuzzier the things that are not quite so defined. This is the area in which some people want to go to, to the extreme. They say, well, the Bible isn't. And they want to come way over here someplace. Doesn't, it only makes sense. It, it, the fuzzier the area is, the, the, the safer you, you try to draw the line. Does that make sense to you? Could, could anybody disagree with that? I mean, if your purpose is the same as the Lord, that is to get to heaven, because God is long-suffering, God is full of mercy, God does not want any to perish. He waited in the days of Noah, not willing that they should perish. If you're going to draw a line, where should the line be drawn? Well on the safe side. Andrew's getting over. Now, Paul says in the book of Hebrews that almost all things are sprinkled with blood. Now we're going to get in, involved in something here that you got to listen. Now he didn't say all things were sprinkled in blood. Why? Because some things are neither bad nor good. They don't need sprinkling. They are bad or good according to the emphasis you place on them. I'm going to be talking to kids in the Christian school about... Nintendo games, sports, and such. See, competitiveness, is it okay to, 
Is it okay to be competitive? Sure it is. However, the level upon which you compete, there has to be a line drawn because after a while, if you're competing at a level in which you cannot be Christian, ah, If you get so involved in sports that you can't keep your mind on the Lord. I went to a church one time and taught, and little did I know the young people were sitting in the back, and I noticed they were in a huddle. They were listening to the ball game on the radio. If you reach a point which you, you, you miss a church service to stay home and listen to the Super Bowl, huh? Ha, <clears throat> ha. <laughs> Next Sunday, you know, they say, Don't think you got on tape. If you miss church to listen to the Super Bowl, you're drawing your lines incorrectly. Am I stepping on anybody's toes? Now, I'm trying to be practical. I'm just showing you. Now, there are certain things, you see, that... That you can say, no, I, I understand, according to Scripture, this is where the line should be drawn, and that's it. But let me tell you, there are many things in which, uh, uh, especially as parents. Now, in the home, now let me, let me explain this a little bit further. Between this man standing here and over here is an area in which I call preference. As a pastor, sometimes I draw the line way over here, and people come by and say, "Well, Berger, I thought you didn't. I didn't. Th- I didn't think you liked this." I said, "Well, that's not my preference." But somewhere between the line which I draw and the actual line between good and evil, there is a preference zone. Now, I do not try. I do not try as a pastor, to enforce preferences upon people. Now, there are certain preferences we have that have nothing to do with this issue. You understand what I'm talking about? In other words, if you're going to sing in the choir, we say, come dressed accordingly. You know. If a girl's going to get married on a Saturday and she bails hay on Friday, she wouldn't want to wear a wedding gown out in the field. I mean, it's just not the proper attire. You follow what I'm saying? And when the ushers come, the ushers come, the ushers are supposed to stand by the back door. We ask them to, to, to dress nice. We say, keep your hair cut and look sharp. And people say, how? Well, I say, if you want to know how ladies ought to dress, look at Sister Grant. If you want to know how men ought to dress, look at me. Now, let me tell you something. You can wear anything I wear. You can say anything I say. You can do anything I do. And more. You might say, why? Well, you see, I'm trying my best to live up to this line. There's some things I think I could do. You know, the Bible, the Bible even tells us, the Bible uses language like this, shun the very appearance of evil. In other words, if you get so close to that line that, oh, it, you know, when you, when you get so close to that line that you can smell the breath of the devil. You need to back up back over here someplace. <clears throat> you follow what I'm saying? Sure. 
And, and, and there are certain things, you know, as a congregation, I, I've told people, I prefer you not to do this. You know the reason why? Because you cannot regulate it once you start this. I'm not going to say it's sin, but you can't regulate it. Now, there are preferences all in the world. I read an article already, but listen to this. Wisconsin State Journal, Thursday, October 19, 1995. Now, this has nothing to do with the sin issue as much as just a preference. Basketball team to play clean. University of Wisconsin men's basketball coach Dick Bennett wants his players to be a cut above average. So he ordered them to cut their mustaches and beards or play basketball elsewhere. Let's get out of the state journal. Among those who shed goatees before UW held its first practice Sunday were guard, junior guard Darnell Hodgkins and freshman Sam Oakey. Also forbidden are long sideburns and five o'clock shadows. Now, you might say, why'd you read that? Well, see, Paul says, if others have power over you, how much more should we? In other words, if you go do that for a basketball team and a pastor asks you to do this just to usher, would you do it? You'd say, ah, get somebody else to usher. Well, I mean, if you don't care any more about it than that, maybe we should. You follow what I'm saying? You follow what I'm, I'm saying here. And I'm, not, I'm not talking tonight about particular issues. I'm talking about attitudes toward issues. I'm talking about that as long as you live in the household, there'll be preferences. Now, let me just explain something that's very, very important. Okay? And, and, and all the preacher's kids, listen up to me. Listen up to me right now. Have you ever felt the dad was harder on you than, than, than he was people in the church? Now, let me tell you why. Okay? You see, if your dad wasn't a pastor, you wouldn't have a problem with that. Why? Because dad and mom set the standard and they draw the line. And in each individual home, they have that. The line may be here, it may be here, it may be here, it may be here. And so, if dad understands in a particular home that there's a line drawn that's not right where he drew the line in his own home, the children should understand that each home has their own guidelines and they follow those. And it's not punishment because I'm asked to follow what dad says or mom says in this home. Hello? You understand what I'm saying? But even in your own home, you and, and as your children get older and you have to open your hand and let them go, you may say, now this, you, I've always taught this, but, you know, this is a preference of mine. I like to tell people a preference is a preference. And there are some things that may be over the line. I may say, now look, in order to do this, that, and the other, this is what you're going to have to do. It's a preference. I can't prove it scripturally. But it is a preference that I have. Do I have the power to exercise a preference? According to the scripture, I think so. Just like you do in your home. If you were running the UW hospital, you'd have that. You follow what I'm saying? But the bottom line is that wherever you 
draw your line that it's well on the safe side. And the fuzzier the area is, the safer or the more caution you should use to ensure safety. You know, if you do things that you're in question about, you know what you're actually proving to God? You're proving to God, I am willing to jeopardize my relationship with my God. That's what you're proving. And with an attitude like that, you would never be profitable to God. Never be profitable to God. So there are undefined spiritual areas. And i got to tell you this, because I'm not Lord over God's heritage. I don't look over people's shoulders. I have people come all the time. Did you know this? Do you know that? Well, you know what I did? Do you know what I did? So no, I did not. I am not a very curious person. I don't go around looking. I will say this. Several years ago, let me just put this in, because I brought it up, all right? Several years ago when the hippies all came in the church. You remember that? You know, long hair, way down to the middle of their backs. Talking about the men. Big, full beards. I called all the men together, and I said, I'd like all the men to shave their beards. So, said, well, Brother Grant, you can't prove scripturally that you shouldn't have a beard. I said, I know that. I'm not dealing with a sin issue. But you see, when I get these boys in, and I tell these boys that you have your lifestyle because you rebelled against authority, because you rebelled against the establishment. After a while, you're going to be the establishment. Like Mayor Soglin. You know what he did? He marched under the red flag, flew out to Cuba, gave Castro a city uh, key, and said, we're sister city with Havana, and such. Went downtown, helped Angela Davis auction off Carlton Armstrong's clothes and everything to get him out of prison. And then all of a sudden, in the Gulf War, because he's mayor now. They said, are we going to make Madison a haven for draft dodgers? He said, absolutely not. Why? He said, well, we can't, we can't allow these people to break the law. <clears throat> See, after a while, he was the establishment. Makes a difference, you know. So this is what I told the men. I said, look, now, I cannot prove scripturally, that this is wrong. But here's the thing. For the sake of unity in the house of God, if I'm going to ask some tattered hippie, because of his anti-established and anti-authority attitude to shave his mustache or his beard, rather, that big heavy beard, why don't we just all comply? And we did that. Now, I know that we have a few beards and mustaches here. You may say, oh, Brother Grant, how do you feel about that? Well, I think preferences can change according to the dictates of attitude. You may say, I thought you were talking about, no, if it's a preference, it can be changed. But see, if it's a sin, it always will be a sin. One pastor called me and said, Brother Grant, this was several years ago, do you believe that you believe it's all right for Christians to wear colored shirts? I said, colored shirts? 
He said, do you wear colored shirts? I said, no, that's back when, you know, the men started wearing these, these pink shirts and purple shirts and all that. And, and, of course, this was way back in the 70s. I said, well, no, I don't wear them. He said, boy, I've been telling our people it's a sin. I said, don't do that. But you see, the do's and don'ts are always heaven or hell issues. Everything's not a heaven or hell issue. Now, does that mean if it's not a heaven or hell issue that, that it's okay for you to go do it? No, not necessarily now. Wait a minute. See, Paul even said, if eating meat offendeth my brother, I guess I won't eat meat anymore. In other words, he was more interested in the overall cause that he represented than he was his own personal feelings. Now, I, 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 we, in our Christian school, we won't let the boys come in here. You know, they get one or two hairs on their lips and want to let it grow. Because, you see, there's a vast difference. Now, listen to me. There's a vast difference between masculinity and machoism. <laughs> machoism is based upon pride and selfishness. Masculinity is the underlying principle of a man's basic nature. There is a difference. 